Good morning. That was awesome. You guys are ready. You had your coffee, you grabbed your cookie, you are ready to rock. That's good. That's good. You guys are familiar with the phrase, you had one job, right? That's kind of that expression we come up with when someone just had, you just had one, you had one thing to do. You had one thing to remember. You had one thing to pick up at the store. You had one job, right? You had one job. I had one job, and that was to submit an event request form for a wedding. So back in 2007, summer of 2007, I talked with a couple. They had stars in their eyes, and they were ready to get married, and they said, hey, we'd love to get married. Our, our wedding date is going to be in February of, of, of 2008. I said, okay, cool. We'll start premarital counseling and all that, and I thought, you know what? In 2008, we're going to be in a different building in a different location because this was when we were at 17th and Indian Hills in our, in our uh, first church building, and I thought, oh, no problem. I mean, we don't have forms, and we don't have things set yet because we're not in that other building, but I'm sure, I'm sure it'll work out. And so, um, we eventually moved in. I did premarital counseling with this couple. They're preparing for their, for their wedding. And in the back of my mind, I thought, you know what? I mean, now that we're in this new space, we, we have some event forms. I should fill that out. I'm like, nah, we'll be fine. We'll get there. Yeah. So in January, the wedding was in February. In January, um, uh, I decided that now would be the time that I would submit my event request, and so I did. I've completed my one job. However, Joe had beat me to the punch for a wedding at the same time, the same day, in the same space, and my couple had requested first, and I had, say with me, one job. <laughs> Everyone is still married. Which is good. I was not released from my position, which is really good. <laughs> they did share decorations, though, and it made for a very interesting and stressful day. So, uh, are you aware that as a follower of Christ, you have one job? You have one job. Everyone who has a relationship with Christ has one job job. And it's the same job. Your one job is to build disciples. To build disciples. To make disciples. We say our church mission is to help people find and follow Jesus Christ. That's not just the mission of Fellowship Bible Church. You are Fellowship Bible Church. A church is not defined by, by walls and structure and steel. It's us. We are Fellowship Bible Church. If there's no us, there is no church. It is our mission to help people find and follow 
Jesus Christ. Regardless of your profession, your job is to build disciples. What we're going to do today is we're going to be reminded together of who we are, what we have been given, and what we share in together that helps us do our job. And I'm going to talk about an initiative that we're moving into this fall. And then at the very end, I'll talk about some next steps for how you can be involved in this disciple-making ministry. To build disciples is why I got into ministry in the first place. Someone, actually a group of people over the course of my life, introduced me to Jesus, helped me to know who he is, helped me to engage God's word for myself, and challenged me to grow spiritually with the Lord. So I've had people spend intentional time and show me a path and to walk on a pathway of following Jesus. I don't know if that's true for you, though. I believe it's true that you've met Jesus. But I don't know if anyone has shown you an intentional pathway of how to do it. And you know what? That's my one job. It is my job to show you a pathway of how you follow Jesus and how you help others do the same. That's actually the job of anyone who serves as a pastor or a teacher. It's to help you follow Jesus. It's what the Apostle Paul did with a group of people that lived in a city called Ephesus. And I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. If you're like me and you get kind of muddled in the New Testament about where to find books of the Bible, just remember General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So if you hit Philippians, go left. If you hit power, go to electric. And you'll be in Ephesians. I don't want you to follow along in the, in the passage with me. Because what we will find is a reminder of who we are and who you are. And you are chosen. You are chosen. You're chosen for this job that God has entrusted to you. You've been called into it. And he has you in mind. He has you in mind right now. He's thinking about you. He's thinking about his love for you, his purpose for you, his design for you. The living God is thinking about you right now. Because you are chosen. Look at what this passage says in Ephesians 4. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Paul is saying, listen, I have been imprisoned for my faith, but I'm still going to do my job. So I'm going to write to you. 
And in my writing to you, I'm going to urge you to walk out this calling that you've been called into because you are chosen and you are called. This is Paul telling the church in Ephesus, you have one job. You got to walk this out. You got to live this calling in which you have been called because you have been chosen. We see in verse 7 of chapter 4, it says, Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This calling, this, this chosen place that we stand in is all because of Jesus. Now, when I grew up, I grew up being a good kid. Good kid, good things, good job, right? You're a good kid, you get good things, good job. And there's nothing wrong with that, except I transferred that to how it must, that's how we must relate to God. If I do good things, I'll get a good God and then things will be fine. If I can perform to what God wants for me. I can measure up. The problem with that is, is I can't outperform my flaws, my sin. My junk. I can't do it. I'm too selfish. I'm too prideful. I can't string together enough W's. I can't, I can't get the streak done. And neither can you. And that's why the word grace is so important. Grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What is Christ's gift? It's his work that he did for us because he loves us. Jesus died on the cross for our sin. He is the performer. He's the one who's undefeated. And even though we can do nothing to measure up to God's standard of perfection... Jesus came to live for us and to die for us. He performed to the full measure that pleased his father. So we don't have to strive. We don't have to work and earn our anything with God. We have nothing left to prove. Isn't that good? Thank you. And it's by God's grace. Christ is the one that filled, had, had the, this incredible gift that was given to us. Later in the, in the passage, it says in verse 11 and 12, it says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. A couple of ideas I want to pay special attention to in this passage. The first is a word that is saints. Who are the saints? Us, right? Now, but we struggle with that. I don't think you woke up, looked in the mirror, and went, Hey, saint. (laughs) 
But we do not think of ourselves that way. Because we know the truth about us. We know what we, what we think. We know what we say. And man, we do not think of ourselves as saints. You probably haven't done any miracles. I'm guessing. Maybe you have. The word saint means to be set apart for a purpose. That means that before you knew Jesus, you were living for your own purpose, life on your own terms. God humbled you, showed you that you cannot earn your way to him, opened your eyes that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. He opened your eyes, you humbled yourself, you believed in Jesus, and when that happened, God set you apart for a new purpose and gave you one job. What you have experienced, it is your job to help others find and follow Jesus too. You have been set apart to a purpose. Now, there are people that have different gifts, and we're going to talk about gifts in a moment, but they're listed in this, in this passage and the purpose of these, these gifts is to equip the saints, to equip the church. This verb, to equip, is only found here. It means to prepare or to make, but it also has the idea of to restore to its original purpose. To restore to its original purpose. To make you fixer-upper. I love that show. I think Chip and I could be buddies. I think since like 1990, there's probably been like 11 of these restoration shows. We love them. Car restorations, home restorations, physical restorations. We love those shows. I think it's because it's tied to the story of our soul. The story of my soul is I was created with an original purpose to know God and to be known by God, but I broke the deal. I sinned against him. My relationship with him was forever shattered. But God, in his love for me and for you, he sent his son, and there has been this work of restoration, and now you have been given gifts and abilities that if you would use them, it restores people to their original purpose. That's what it means to equip, to help you walk out what it means to to have faith. And it is the job that you have. You are chosen for this job. And God has gifted you for this job. You guys remember the gifted program at school? Gifted program. We are all gifted. Look at what this passage says. In chapter 4, verse 8, the Apostle Paul quotes something out of Psalm chapter 68, verse 18. He says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Paul is saying this passage from Psalms is talking about Jesus. 
Jesus died, was buried, he rose from the dead. He appeared for a series of days to prove that he is the risen Savior. And then he ascended to to the throne. And when Jesus rose, he sent the Holy Spirit to come down on us. And with the Spirit, we are sealed in our relationship with God. We are safe and secure. And we have been given special gifts and abilities. And it's unique to who we are. And his job for us. Everyone's job is to build disciples. But we are gifted to accomplish that work in different ways. Think about a car manufacturing factory. Someone does the struts. Someone does the upholstery. I mean, it's no, I know it's those big robotic things, but you, someone designed those, you know. So we're not all the same, but we are all chosen and we are all gifted. And it came from God himself. Back to verse 11. Here's a list of some of the gifts that are found in the church. Apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers. Apostles are, are messengers that go on the authority of the king. In the first century world, Caesar didn't just travel around. He sent emissaries. He sent messengers. They were called apostles. And wherever they went, they carried the authority and the identity of Caesar with them. So you didn't mess with them. We're not talking about Caesar, who became a dressing. We're talking about the most powerful figure in the known world. And you went, if you were one of his messengers, you went with the authority of his throne. Paul is not talking about Caesar, is he? He's talking about the risen king. And so we're our messengers with the full authority of the throne behind us to carry that message forward. There are prophets. These are people who God has wired in a special way to tell the truth. They, they can quickly discern what is, what is of God and what is not of God. They tend to be black and white people. They see things pretty clearly. I'm married to one of those. For better or for worse. But I tell you what, there are times where I struggle with, I don't know what I'm supposed to do or how I should respond. And God uses my wife and her gift of prophecy of being able to, she doesn't predict the future. She says, well, this is, and it's always simple and clear for her. It's always complicated for me. She's like, no, you just, this is what God would say. Okay. So there are people with that wiring in the church. And we need those people. Then there are evangelists. Evangelists are, are those who, who share their faith story. And God has given them a special ability in doing that. Now, we're all to tell our faith story. We can't hide behind why well, I'm not gifted in that. But there are people that God uses to carry the message of Jesus and to share their faith in powerful ways. We're not exempt from the one job just because we don't have one of these gifts. We are all gifted. Then there are shepherds and teachers. And so I, I read a commentary that had an explanation. Evangelists are like obstetricians. 
They help people find new life, and then they move to the next person to find new life. Shepherds and teachers are like pediatricians. They're with you for the journey. They're there to help you grow and remain healthy. They're there to tell you the truth. We are all gifted, and you can read 1 Corinthians 12 and other passages that talk about these different gifts of the Spirit that we have, because you are gifted, and you are not alone. This is one of the greatest lies the enemy would tell you, because his sole purpose is to say that you don't have a job. You don't have a job. Or that your job is to make money or to still find life on your own terms, or to fix somebody else. Someone could stand on a stage, open the Bible, and go, y'all go make disciples. Go do it. But if that shepherd or teacher doesn't show you how, then you won't ever do your job. But we are not alone. Ephesians 4, going back to this, verse 13 through 13. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You are not alone. You are chosen and you are gifted and you are not alone. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, it says, In Him, in Christ, you, and it's it's a plural form of the word you, it's y'all. In Him, y'all also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are in this with one another. And there are three outcomes that are found in this passage. That if we would walk together and we would do our job together, what God will do. God will build unity in this church. I did a service for a man who had faith, but no church. Just yesterday. Had faith, no church. Somewhere along the way, I think people get de-churched. And churches are not perfect places because I'm here. And so are you. But there's been a lot of hurt done by hypocrisy, isn't there? A lot of hurt and pain. The the place that's supposed to be safe, the place that you're supposed to encounter God, people find shame and guilt and judgment. Or legalism that says, perform, 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 perform. Without any message of, of hope and grace. Or some some churches are divided by factions. People setting up their own little kingdom tower in the middle of the church. 
You guys know what I'm talking about. But when people of the church engage their one job, it builds unity. It builds a deeper knowledge of who Jesus is. It helps us grow up. You guys have those friends that when you see them or you introduce them to someone, you use the phrase, yeah, we grew up together. You have that person? If my buddy Clint Walker was here from Colorado and he came out on the stage, I go, hey, this is Clint. We grew up together. That's what this is supposed to be. This is supposed to be us saying, we grew up together. We met Jesus, we began walking with him, and we, and we grew up with one another. When we do our job and we help people find and follow Jesus Christ, we grew up together. And then this passage says that we, with that maturity, we, we come to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ. We have a deeper understanding and knowledge in a fuller experience with Jesus than we ever had before. This is what God has for you because you are chosen, you are gifted, and you're not alone. It is my job to help you help others find and follow Jesus. I'm to be doing this in my own life and to help you do the same. I love being a pastor here. The reason I believe God called me into ministry is to this kind of work, discipleship. And we have been committed to relationships and helping people find godly relationships for a long time. It begins in our nursery and we have intentional interactive time with your infant. There's a purpose there. Then as those infants grow, they go into our base camp and we have activity groups around a Bible lesson, but we're trying to introduce them that it is good and normal to have relationships with others. And then base camp moves into the mountain, first through sixth through fourth grade. Then there's a fifth and sixth grade summit. And when you're in the mountain in the summit, you have your own small group. Then there's student ministry where groups continue and then adults, we have small groups for you. But if I'm to be fully honest, the discipleship pathway has not been very clear because different small groups have had different experiences together. Some groups have had incredible growth because they've gone through the excruciating things of life. They've lost children or parents. And they have had to trust God together and depend on one another. Other groups may not have had that and they just kind of feel like we're going through the motions. And so what I believe and have had a growing conviction for a couple of years now is to come up with a better pathway that helps everyone do their job. And God has led us and the leadership of our church to a new discipleship pathway that is called Rooted. I will tell you, there is nothing new under the sun. The plan is found in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And it's also found in Ephesians 4, how to build up one another. But this is not a class where a talking head informs you. This is not a small group 
This is a discipleship experience together over the course of 10 weeks. And I was a skeptic because this was not my plan. So I've been leading a pilot group. We, we just finished week nine and we're coming into week 10. And I asked elders, spouses, deacons, their spouses, staff and small group leaders to be a part of a 10-week journey through this to see, for me, we'll see how this goes. And what has happened is there are people that, some of them said, I, I didn't really ever view myself as a disciple but now I know who I am. Others said, I didn't feel well equipped to share my faith. But now I'm confident to share. Others had never heard from God and felt the peace of God come over them until going through a shared journey together. Shame on me if I tell you, go make disciples and I don't show you a clear pathway. And so this is something that we want for everyone. This is a way to get the job done. And it came out of Nairobi, Kenya, where God is throwing a global party and churches are being planted. Church is dying on the vine in the northern hemisphere. The average church is 100 people with the average age of 65 or higher. Churches aren't engaging the next generation. But there are places in our world where God is showing that he is the lion of Judah. And the gates of hell will not stand against the church. So they have written a curriculum that is more than just a Bible study. It's not just another small group study. It's a way of showing people how to walk out your faith together. That everyone in this room would know how to talk with God and how to help someone else do the same. Even you. It's simple. It's not rocket science. It's not the silver bullet. It's not the end all be all of what it means to be a disciple. But it will be a pathway that if you walk on it, I guarantee you, you will have a fuller relationship and experience with God than you did when you began. And you'll be better equipped to help do your job, no matter where you're at in your faith. These are, some of these people are, 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 have been walking with Jesus longer than I've been alive and they're feeling refreshed and renewed and rejuvenated. And it'll happen. So there are just different rhythms in our lives, different practices in our lives. It's all grounded in Scripture. Daily devotion, you serve the community together. You grow in how to pray in a way that is, that is, that is safe and unweird. I think that's a word. There's... People are finding freedom from things that have been holding them back where the enemy has been gaining ground in their lives and they're finding a way out. People are equipped to share their story. We just did that week nine. Everyone is equipped to how to tell your story with Jesus in under two minutes. 
We set the clock. Everyone did it. People who had never felt like they ever could. And they did. And we're in a celebration. So how is this going to look? For all the introverts in the room, you're going to be able to relax a little bit. Sometimes when we say, hey, we want everyone to be in a small group, you just have to go find one and go to meet in some stranger's home. And the introverts in the room just go... Extroverts like me are like, hey, bring it, man. Cool. Let's party. So what we're going to do when we launch Rooted as a church, we're going to start it on September 10th, and we're going to provide on-campus groups for those who are not in in a current group. This has been your church home for a while. You're not connected. This is going to be the easiest step you could take. You register for it. You will be assigned to a group for this journey. If there are people you want to go through this journey with, All you do when you register is say, I want to go through this with with these people. You need to let them know that you're putting them down, though. (laughs) For those of you who are in current small groups, we're going to ask your small group to participate with us in this. And you'll still meet as a group in your homes on your regular meeting times. There is a cost to this, but it comes with a purpose. This was not developed by us. This was developed by a work that God was doing in the nation of Kenya. And so the materials and the proceeds of that helped fund their church planning network across the continent of Africa. We're helping them do their job. They are helping us do our job. Man, I think for me that has been the most convicting thing about this is because for so long the American church has gone to the third world church to help, but not learn. To give resources, but not say, what is God doing in you? And that's exactly what this is. And it will help us. So there's a cost to it. We will have scholarships. I do not want four Sheridan's Concretes getting in the way of you doing this. So we're telling you now that if you can set aside some resources for this fall, it will be worth it and you will help others do their job. We're going to start registration August 1st. We're going to launch this September 10th. It will be church-wide. We're going to align messages to it. We're going to still have our reading plan that we build and it will go directly with the passages that are contained within the rooted material. I do not want you missing out on this because I want everyone to do your job. I'm excited that there is a pathway. Don't you want people leading your children to know how to pray? Don't you want those who are leading your students through the challenges of adolescence to be confident that they can share their own faith story with those students? Don't you want that? People, it's us. If it's not us, it's not going to be someone else. It is our job. Our time, our place, our calling, because we are chosen, we are gifted, and we are not alone. And this will help you get your job done. We pray for you.
Lord Jesus, I lift up this church family to you. And I pray, God, your blessing on them. God, may they seek you and may they be reminded of who they are in Christ. May you bless them and protect them. Lord, as we respond in worship, uh, we pray, we ask God that you would receive our worship, even though uh, we're not perfect, but we are set apart to you because of Jesus. And so we worship through him to bring you praise. It's in his name I pray, amen.